Hey guys, and welcome back to Box Mining. Today we have a very esteemed guest, Don San. She's the professor at Berkeley and also the recipient of the MacArthur Fellowship, which is one of the most esteemed prizes in computer science or fellowships in computer science. And today she's sharing a lot of insight about what's happening in the blockchain space and talking a little bit about something that we don't cover too much on this channel, which is privacy on blockchain. So Don, Welcome to this channel. Uh, hope you're doing well. Great. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. So I think like it's your first time on a channel and I just wanted to, to get my audience quite familiar with you. So can you just tell a little bit about, you know, kind of your story and how you got into the blockchain space? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. So uh, I have been working in security and privacy for a really long time. Uh, I think more than to like two decades uh, now, uh, and <laughs> right. Actually, it's interesting. I think one of my uh, earlier papers actually was on you know proof of uh, retrievability. And uh, actually, um, Quan Valence he give, I invited him to give a guest lecture in my blockchain class uh, earlier, and then he actually talked about uh, my paper and how that helped inspired uh, some of the, like, the design in the file point. Uh, protocol as uh, as well. So I think actually that was one of the uh, actually yeah, one of the earliest papers uh, mm. um, in the proof of retrievability. And um, uh, so so that's just an example showing that when you look at blockchain, really the key is I mean security is a core part of blockchain. And really I think as many of us here, we do think that blockchain uh, is here to stay and the blockchain is going to change the world. But it has a very interesting path. Uh, the more I work in the space, the more I think you come to understand the path and so on. So, so that's, and in my research lab, we have been developing cutting edge technologies in security, privacy, and blockchain. And uh, at the time, essentially, I was seeing the challenges, for example, Ethereum was facing uh, and so on. And really, for blockchain to change the world, to have real world impact, to really you know, fulfill the, the vision that we have for blockchain really needs uh, better fundamental technology in mm. the space. So that's essentially what uh, drove me to blockchain. Like I see machine learning AI is one really important advancement uh, for, for the world. And that mainly just help us to build more intelligent systems. Um, but for blockchain, it, uh, it's interesting it has a more, uh, potentially have deeper impact in terms of the structure in our society, and essentially the relationship uh, between individuals and relationships between individuals and uh, institutions and other entities. So it's a it's a very different type of disruptive innovation. That's very different. That's very interesting. I think that's a very interesting angle as well, because I think there's very few people who can say, yo, you know, one of my initial publications directly led to a lot of this innovation here. So definitely that's a very cool angle to come from because you've been in the, you know, space, the research space and the computer science space for such a long time um, that you see all this innovation come and you're seeing, okay, what does it need? And I think I want to push to that as well. I mean, you see Ethereum right now um, and you're talking a little bit about privacy. Uh, what drove you to that angle? Ethereum and uh, most of today's blockchain platforms, um, really everything is in the public. So when you have that, of course, you can say you have the transparency, you can go check 
whether it's something, you know, everything is, uh, is correct and so on. So it has some advantages. But on the other hand, it does significantly limit uh, the, the use cases, right? Because ultimately, in this world, everybody, uh, I think, has their private information, either it's users, individuals, or entities like financial institutions and so on. Um, being able to protect your uh, sensitive information is, is really important. And we, as we build up the blockchain platform, I think uh, improving scalability is one thing, and also having better privacy protection. Uh, that's really important. That's going to help us to to expand and enable more more use cases. That's actually very interesting because, like, right now, I think we're using one of the uh, the transparency aspects of blockchain. I mean, uh, with the rise of decentralized finance, we can see where our funds go, which is great, right? Um, now you can start tracking where the funds go. It might be very complicated to see, like, with all this yield farming or uh, DeFi yield aggregators, but at least you know where the funds are. You can trace it, track it on the blockchain. But you're talking about something that's also quite different here, which is not everything needs to be private, right? And I think this is one of the unique aspects that drove me into look into Oasis because at the same time, you want to keep some of the information, if it's sensitive company information, like for example, uh, where uh, funds are stored for a particular institution, they don't want that information to be revealed publicly, right? So so where does this come into play? Like how, how, how does this kind of all work out? Where, where do you see kind of this fitting in do you think that everything is everything on oasis private is everything on it public um how does this all fit together and also i want to add to it you guys like uh the, on one hand transparency is helpful so you can see exactly what's happening but on the other hand you have to keep in mind that everybody can see that information and then there's a lot of you know like attackers out there or bad actors uh, when you have that information they can utilize that information for harm as well. So that's why, for example, you know, there are all these front running attacks, and there are front running attacks, there are various attacks uh, mm. that people can people launch. Uh, and uh, uh, for big parties, because information is out there, so they can see everything. And hence, when they see your information, they potentially may be able to leverage that and mount attack on you. So that's why, right, for everybody needs to protect their sensitive information, that's, uh, you need that to protect yourself. That's actually very true. You brought you brought up the front running attack, and I just explained this to um, people because, like, I think a lot of people, uh, when they're buying on Uniswap, you know, the moment that you start executing an order, it becomes public because now it's sent to the blockchain. But the blockchain hasn't processed that yet. So something that was very interesting, I just wanted to add to this here, is that there are people who are specifically designing bots to see where large orders are going, and then to exactly front run them. So then they can get the order. So let's say if someone wants to buy uh, 500,000 worth of X token, let's say call it bunny token or whatnot. But if that is the case, if someone sees that and this is on sent on the blockchain and someone can scan that, then a bot can also execute the same order before them. And then they can get the advantage because they know the price is going up. So they can buy it, buy some beforehand, price gets pushed up and now they can profit off that. And there's a lot of bots for that. And that's one of the issues of being fully transparent all the time where there's now issues of front running. There's also issues of data breach. So then, okay, um, can you talk to me about how more about how you're solving that then? Right, 
right, exactly, exactly. So actually, even last year, actually, uh, on our Oasis uh, yeah, platform, we have developed this, uh, we call like, uh, for example, private Uniswap. In this case, essentially, your audit will be encrypted when it's sent to the smart contract. We enable this confidential smart contract. Um, so then, so then exactly like you, you explained, then the attackers won't be able to see your order before it's executed. So there's no front-running attack. And so this, uh, right, so this Uniswap smart contract just runs in this secure execution environment uh, as a confidential smart contract. So then you have privacy protection and you don't have uh, these front-running attacks because they cannot see, the attacker cannot see your order. So, so and the, oh, right. <laughs> So this type of this is actually very interesting because this is not just protecting privacy for the address, but it's also protecting the information that's being processed. Exactly. I think that that's exactly. a, that's a very big difference here because obviously, um, I think my audience, we, we we you know as a community, we know about privacy coins, right? We don't know about Monero that tries to hide the address or kind of obscure where transactions are going. But at the same time, um, it's not just about the address, but now you're protecting the information, the smart contract. So you're encrypting that data. So people can't read, oh, look, I want to buy half a million dollars of bunny tokens. I, they, it would just be garbled, it'd be a garble to them. But the blockchain on the other side, the smart contract itself understands that. So then it can execute the order as per instructed. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. And the Oasis platform is a unique platform to support this. And you asked earlier, you know, how we do this and so on. So uh, the Oasis, platform has a very unique architecture that we call this paradigm architecture. So this architecture actually naturally enables all these different advantages, mm -hmm. including actually scalability as well. Uh, I, can, right, I can explain. Yeah, sure. Yeah, explain a bit more detail. So how does that work then? Right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. So the way to think about it is, um, so with Ethereum and the most of the blockchains out there, uh, so they have the scalability issues actually for, there's a main reason for that. As, so when you look at the blockchain, usually and, uh, there are three key functions that need to be performed. Consensus, how different nodes right, reach consensus and, uh, and compute to execute smart contracts and storage to store the states uh, mm -hmm. of the smart contracts accounts and so on. So, so for example, in Ethereum, all these three functions are bundled together. So each node has to do all three functions. And mm -hmm. hence, this can actually naturally lead to these bottlenecks and so on. Because mm -hmm. also each node has to do the same thing uh, and, and so on. So in our case, then in OASIS, uh, the architecture, we have a novel like modular architecture. We actually decouple these functions. We separate the execution from consensus. So what it means is that we actually have two main layers. We have the consensus layer. Uh, the consensus layer uh, it runs proof of stake. So the nodes just do uh, consensus. And, uh, and then on top, we have what we call paratime layer. The so paratime uh, stands for like parallel runtime. So it's a short for parallel runtime. So what it means is that we actually have this natural parallel execution architecture. So in the paratime layer, we can have many, many paratimes uh, running at the same time. Each paradigm is run by a paradigm committee, and this committee can be dynamic, uh, dynamically selected in a pool of uh, compute nodes, uh, and so on. So in other nodes that participate in the network, for example. And, um, and then each paradigm can have its own paradigm engine, which is essentially like a smart contract VM. 
And this also naturally enables us to actually concurrently support different types of smart contracts, virtual machines. So for example, we are fully backwards compatible with the EVMs, uh, so we can support solidity uh, smart contracts very easily. You can just, uh, and all the Ethereum uh, mm. developer tooling all works for that. And it's really easy to have a Ethereum solidity smart contract just run on our platform. And so that's if you, with a paradigm committee that runs this paradigm, uh, this EVM paradigm engine, that's how it works. That's actually quite crazy. So I, I just kind of wanted to interrupt you there because like, just to put everything in perspective, because, you know, um, uh, development is actually quite time intensive and we're just beginning to figure out how Ethereum kind of development um, can be improved because obviously you've seen numerous hacks on Ethereum in the past and developers now are just trying to get the code better. So I think um, I took a lot of knowledge in just now. So a few things that I kind of understood is you decoupled the consensus from also the execution, which is very, very interesting. So now you have the ability to not only scale, but you can also support multiple environments as well, which is super interesting. So one of those environments being Ethereum. So now you can be compatible with Ethereum and the EVM. You can develop. We can we support smart contract language uh, using Rust, so you can actually write mm. smart contracts in Rust, which uh, a lot. It's a mainstream programming language. A lot of developers mm. really love. It's a, it's a beautiful language. And also, then going back to uh, secure computing, and uh, so we support. So one of the paradigm committees, for example, the nodes can run secure hardware, and then and then we can support confidential smart contracts using secure hardware Got and it. you can have right so so naturally then you can support all these different uh, concurrent and parallel uh run times paradigms uh, that we call and it gives you natural uh better parallelization and also extensibility and flexibility and also actually naturally supports a seamless uh, combination of permission and permissionless use cases that's insane. That's a, that's a huge amount of knowledge dump here, but I think it's absolutely insane. The implications of this is absolutely crazy because like, um, a few things, questions just pop off the head. So you said, okay, look, this can support Ethereum. So now, um, can you make a bridge to Ethereum as well? In that case, like, um, bridge assets between both Ethereum because it's closer. Exactly. 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 Absolutely. And can right. developers so then, also port code over? So uh, I think one of my concerns is let's say let's say there's an amazing app um, that's been on Ethereum. Let's say it's Uniswap or someone, and it's open source. Can they just port code over to Oasis, or is there any risk as well? Is the EVM environment exactly the same, or would there be slight differences as well in the in the kind of the execution environment? Right. So we support actually different versions of the EVMs, like different. Teams have been developing different uh, EVM engines, and it's very easy to, to run them mm. uh, yeah, because you can just have different paradigm, uh, uh, different paradigm to support that. Have different paradigm committees to run them. So yes, we uh, right. And today, it's basically uh, most of the solidity smart contract on Ethereum they just run on, in this environment with no changes needed. 
Okay, so that's very interesting. So they can directly port your applications over um, with very minimal changes and then start running that on Oasis. Something that's actually quite interesting is because you can support different runtimes, does that mean there will be compatibility issues as well? Let's say if one um, one decentralized application on Oasis is you know really, really popular and then it wants to interact with another application. Let's say you have Uniswap, you're doing some tokens and now uh, you know can those tokens be ported over to another runtime or is, is there a limitation there? Right, so these different runtimes are different part times. They can communicate through, you know, sending messages, sending uh, transactions to each other and so on. So, so then there's no issue with the, the compatibility, like, because they, they don't need to all run in the same uh, runtime or same pair time. Mm. Uh, so essentially one way to think about it is that these different uh, pair time uh, environments you can think of them as like different sub networks uh, that each one essentially can fully have its own flexibility like i said they can choose its own uh, paradigm engine it can have its own criteria what kind of nodes it wants to participate so for example as for some applications maybe they only want nodes in certain geographic regions mm -hmm. or like i said for some uh, if you want to support confidential smart contracts, maybe then you want to have nodes that have secure hardware capabilities. And also for some use cases, like I said, they may be a permission use case where a certain enterprise, they just want to have nodes, uh, like, you know, a few enterprise together, they just want to uh, have themselves maintaining the nodes and so on. But so in that case, it would be a permission uh, setting. But the whole architecture, because all these different paradigms, they share the same consensus layer. So their states basically are synced uh, in the sense that uh, uh, each paradigm's state, the root hashes get synced to the consensus layer. So then this allows all these different paradigms to, uh, right, to communicate with each other. And also at the same time, they uh, essentially, they share, actually they share the same a strong security for consensus from the consensus layer and also allow them uh, to write to, to share the same like uh, the, mm. the ledger uh, to, to make it easier for them to write to communicate with each other as well. That's actually very very interesting I think it's very different from everything that I've seen so far <laughs> uh, um, you know right. it, and, it, also, it, mm -hmm. and also what's even better is that actually the the scalability actually is better so for example the way we, uh, you have to actually tie this paradigm layer to the consensus layer, because otherwise in the consensus layer is doing consensus, if, how do you know whether this paradigm, the state is correct uh, and so on. So we have a way to tie the paradigm layer to, uh, to the consensus layer through what we call discrepancy detection. So the idea is that, let's say you have this paradigm committee that runs a paradigm, right, the engine, and basically executes the smart contracts in that environment. And then, so this committee, we, so what, through this discrepancy detection, what it means is as long as one node is honest, is doing the right thing, then the consensus layer basically can detect any misbehavior from this, uh, from mm. this paradigm committee. And hence, you get extremely high security, actually, for a much lower uh, replication factor, which means that to achieve the same security level, uh, in you know, with the sharding approach, uh, you actually would require higher replication factor than using our this verifiable computing discrepancy detection approach. And hence, with our approach from the parallelization 
and scalability, we can actually be much more efficient than sharding, than parachain, uh, and so on with this uh, new architecture. That's actually very, very interesting. So it's a completely different architecture and design from what we've seen and the other proposed solutions as well. So on this channel, we talked a lot about sharding. We talked about to the guys from Elrond, they talked about full state sharding. We also talked about Ethereum 2.0, which is gonna implement a sharding architecture. So this is kind of just filling in everything. So Don's like, yo, like, this is like better. And this is also quite interesting because we also explore Polkadot a little bit and they're always talking a lot about, about using parachains to scale the network. So this is something that's completely different, but at the same time, it has both scalability, privacy in mind. So that's that's what's kind of interesting about Oasis. So it's a very, it's like I'm just kind of trying to put everything, fitting everything into place. So I think this is very cool. Um, I have a question though. So you talked about uh, from an architecture perspective, right? So if you think about Ethereum, everything executes on the same time. And this is why we're getting the bottlenecks because there's just too many transactions. We can't, <laughs> the processing power is always the same, right? So that's not good. But on Oasis, obviously you can split that off um, and have um, different, you know, kind of, um, uh, what was it called again? Sorry, um, it was time. Paratime. Paratime, Paratime. Uh, yeah, yeah that, was, that was the name I was looking for. So Paratimes, that can do this. But um, one of the issues here is that if you have a different Paratime, you're talking about syncing this discrepancy. What if this Paratime decides to be dishonest? I mean, I mean the thing is, there's a lot of motivation to do so, right? Right now, we have financial contracts worth millions of dollars. So there's a huge incentive for them to be, or maybe attempt to be dishonest. How, do you, how does this discrepancy syncing system work? How do you prevent value from being lost? in there. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. A very good question. So, <clears throat> so the idea here is that, again, we have this Paratime committee, and the Paratime committee can be dynamically chosen from a pool of uh, compute nodes, and each node has to stake uh, in order to, uh, to join the network to be a compute node. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then as they are selected uh, to run this Paratime to do this uh, transaction for the smart contract execution, and so on. Then that's where, so essentially that's what I meant by the replication factor is that in this paradigm committee, every node is doing the same work or they are supposed to be doing the same work. And then, and then from the consensus layer, what the consensus layer will check is for each node with their compute results, they will be going to the consensus layer. The consensus layer will be checking or do something what we call discrepancy detection. Essentially it's verifiable computing, right? So the consensus layer wants to make sure that the execution has been correct. And one way to do it is what we call discrepancy detection. So for example, let's say you have a hundred nodes uh, in this paratime committee and each node is supposed to be executing the same uh, set of transactions, uh, smart contract execution. And then uh, the consensus, and then they will be submitting results to the consensus layer. The consensus layer will be checking whether these results are the same. So in this case, as long as you have one honest node, who has been doing the correct work, then any node that's trying to behave, that means it will introduce a discrepancy, meaning uh, the reported results will be, there'll be discrepancy among the reported like, mm -hmm. states. That makes sense, yeah. By yeah. The different nodes. And hence, then the consensus will know that there's something wrong. And mm -hmm. then once this happens, we have another process called um, dispute resolution. So then basically that means we, the consensus has discovered someone is mis misbehaving. Then you need to figure out who is misbehaving using the dispute resolution methods. 
And so that's a little bit more involved process. But in, in general, like for example, a simple way is you can have a bigger committee and then you rerun this and you see what the result mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. and so on. So there are different ways to do it. And so once you this, then, 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 then you figure out who actually submitted the wrong results, then you slash them. Right. So Got in it. this case, then you know have incentives to behave correctly, and also as long as you have one node that's behaving correctly, then you can detect any misbehavior, and hence it actually has very very high security. And also because you can detect any misbehavior as long as you have one on this node, so that's why it reduces our replication factor for mm. the same security level. So for the same security level, uh, we need a smaller number of Nodes in the committee to actually achieve that security level. That's and actually very powerful. So, so it's unlike Byzantine fault tolerance, which requires fifty-one percent to be honest. Uh, you only need one honest node within that committee to 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 make sure to ensure that um, this calculation is done correctly. So that's actually really very really powerful there. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. So for other models, usually you need a three app plus one or two app plus one. Yes. Dishonest, uh, the number of dishonest nodes. Whereas in our case, you only need F plus one nodes. Got it, uh, got it. That's really powerful. And, and that is why it, uh, right, it's more efficient than, uh, right, than other methods. Got it. That's actually really, so we went really, really deep into blockchain architecture design there. I hope you guys got a little bit of insight, but it's actually very, very different from everything else. And I really appreciate Don's perspective here about everything that's going on. I think it's good time to actually zoom out as well and just talk a little bit about the application side of things. So we went deep into blockchain. We understand a little bit more about the architecture, but okay, now, now that we know this, how does can this be applied? How does this kind of work? Uh, where do you see this being applied in the future? Where's your vision for this going? Yeah, no, that's great. So, so for us, essentially, we say that uh, uh, so Oasis, what is the Oasis network? It's the first privacy-enabled blockchain platform for mm -hmm. open finance and a responsible data economy. So what that means is, so given its unique architecture and uh, technological advancement uh, with the uh, enablement of both scalability and privacy protection, it can really enable new, uh, new use cases, new paradigms. So, so for example, DeFi is really hot today. People, you know, talk a lot about DeFi and so on. Um, but in DeFi, we're seeing, I think, two challenges. One is scalability challenges, and the other one is the, the privacy challenges that we discussed at the beginning, uh, like including like uh, attacks like uh, front running and and so on. Mm -hmm. So. Right, so then what the Oasis network, uh, our Oasis platform can provide is what we call scalable and private DeFi. So we can pr provide better, greater scalability for DeFi. Again, given that Ethereum is the, like we are backwards compatible with the uh, with EVM and so on, it's actually really easy to migrate um, the solidity smart contracts. And also, we are in the process of building a bridge. Hopefully, mm -hmm. it will be done uh, in the near future. And so what does uh, this bridge do? So you can port tokens over for, um, via the bridge? Right, so basically, uh, so um, for example, on Ethereum, you have various assets, and there's yes, 20 tokens, or whatever, you have, the, the, you have various assets, and then this bridge would enable you to, for example, uh, equivalent to, like, for example, creating wrapped assets here. Mm. Like, so you lock the assets over there in Ethereum, and you bring the assets here, you create these wrapped assets, 
and then essentially you can basically like bring assets over and then you can mm. run these yield farming and these uh, DeFi applications on the platform, but with much lower costs, uh, right? It's not like you don't have to pay like $50, $60 for <laughs> doing <laughs> right, a transaction or something. And uh, uh, right, so you can do it um, in a much more efficient and mm. uh, uh, fast, scalable and, and cheap, uh, cheaper way. Got and it. So, so that's a Okay. So just to summarize, so you can actually, so, so that's actually quite a powerful proposition. So you can bridge assets over, which is great. So that means you can start trading or um, having your own version of a decentralized exchange on Oasis, but also because Oasis is compatible with Ethereum virtual machines, so it's compatible with EVM, you can start just direct developers, just start directly porting over to Oasis. And also that's something that's quite interesting is because Oasis starts supports different languages like Rust, and you can actually have other bridging links to other Rust-based blockchains, right? Is that, is that um, easier as well for them? And to also have applications that can port over from, um, say like Elrond, I think Elrond is Rust-based. So that means that um, developers can kind of port over code from both sides, right? Right, right, yes, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, so the business is one thing, and then also with the privacy protection, we can enable what we call private device. So for example, as I mentioned, um, we've developed a private uh, Uniswap uh, and a private compound. So a lot of these uh, applications, uh, essentially you can have the private, the private version, the privacy preserving version that can help address uh, many of the challenges uh, that we see in DeFi today, like the running as well. And also, like I think for institutional, uh, for, for institutions, uh, again, these type of privacy is more important for them. And I think in the current form, it's difficult for them to, to participate uh, with better privacy protection. It can it expands uh, the, the user base and we can actually bring even more the mainstream uh, users into the, into the space. That's actually very interesting. I think like, you know, we've been through stuff like voting issues where, you know, voting what people want to do voting on a blockchain, but then everything became transparent. And I'm like, why would you ever want to do voting on a blockchain? But now with privacy, it's much less of an issue. So I think this is actually very interesting going forward. So um, I think that that's where I feel like um, I think this conversation was great because we talked a lot about not just the architecture, but also about the future vision of this. So in terms of Oasis, uh, what kind of developments do you have in mind right now? Who's committed to develop on Oasis and what are they doing? <laughs> right, right, yeah, that's a great question. So, so in DeFi, we actually have a number of partnerships. Uh, like uh, we also just announced a partnership with Chainlink recently. And they will be bringing Oracle uh, services uh, to our platform. And we have a number of other uh, DeFi partnerships who are all building and providing various uh, uh, for DeFi components on the platform to help build up the, the DeFi ecosystem. And also, uh, so the scalable and private DeFi is actually just one, uh, one, use, one type of use cases uh, the, uh, the Oasis platform can provide, can enable. And actually there's an even bigger use case that we call a responsible data economy. It's essentially through data tokenization. Uh, because we enable uh, privacy, we combine blockchain the ledger capability and to secure computing together. So we enable this truly new thing that we call data tokenization. As so far, like we mainly talk about financial assets and uh, you know, these tokens representing financial assets, but we also know like data 
data people say this is a new oil so data is right it's actually the key driver for modern economy and uh, it's also of course um, most of the data is actually very sensitive uh, mm. but it's also hugely valuable uh, and so we all know that there has been actually a lot of tension between I think how to protect uh, users privacy better and also uh, I think for, for example for companies how to actually enable this data to be utilized and so on so essentially we want to have a responsible way of utilizing the data and, and extract value out of the data and the more importantly I think especially by users data what you want is that you want to be able to protect your rights to the data and also at the same time to be able to use the data in a privacy preserving way so that the users can benefit so what the OSIS uh, platform can enable is for the first time it can enable the creation of this new type of assets that we call data assets mm -hmm. uh, so essentially uh, users can uh, and for users own data the user can uh, we, the platform allows the user to uh, we call tokenize the data so the, the the blockchain can essentially provide an immutable log of users rights to data uh, and also how user wants the data to be utilized. And then, uh, and then uh, with the combination of the secure computing, then we can allow like a third party to utilize the data at this, uh, while uh, protecting users uh, privacy. And we've, we actually have seen a number of really exciting applications on this. So one application that will be launching soon in partnership with the genomic company is uh, right in the space of uh, helping users to become owners of their genomic data. Mm. As we all know, genomic data is really sensitive. And um, also, it's, um, it's the, the, the data that you cannot change. You cannot change your genes. Yes. Uh, right. So, <laughs> right. So, so you may have heard about some, like, Chinese and and So, so mm. there are these direct consumer genomic companies. They actually have cited the slowdown in their uh, consumer adoption. Um, due to consumers' uh, concerns for privacy, how their uh, genomic data may be handled. So with the OSIS That's platform, actually, users have control of their genomic data. Uh, users can decide how they want their data to be utilized. The data will be stored in encrypted form, but users can specify who and how the data can be used. For example, in this case, the user can give consent to the genomic company, and then the genomic company can uh, to, to, to provide the genomic uh, data analysis. And then with our platform, the geno genomic company can run the genomic analysis in this uh, secure computing uh, environments. And, um, and then so user's data is being protected. And at the same time, the user can benefit from the analysis results. So this is another example of how, the, how this platform can enable this new form of uh, data assets. Um, and also we have, uh, we just announced our partnership with uh, Binance um, to build up uh, an alliance um, called the Crypto Safe Alliance to help bring different exchanges together to fight crypto fraud because oh. you know, there's a lot of fraud uh, at, uh, at these uh, exchange bad actors uh, that uh, the exchanges need to identify and prevent uh, these uh, crypto fraud. So, uh, so with platforms like this, it can help different entities, even if they may be mutually distrusted, uh, they can actually securely 
share information together to together uh, you know do computes uh, over the information where each entity wouldn't know information about others mm. uh, and together from a computation and in this case for example fights uh, these uh, crypto fraud that's actually very interesting i think a lot of this stuff is forward thinking and i think it takes a bit of wrapping our head around right and i think this is the the insight i really got from talking to you is you know uh, thinking for the future i mean at the end of the day base facebook got a lot of you know this is very public you know facebook um, they leaked sensitive information and in fact they built their entire business on being able to obtain sensitive information about our lives right that's kind of the crazy part of the facebook business model is they monetize people's data that's how the company works and it's a billion dollar industry uh, on top of that you are talking also about um data collection when it comes to our genes and i've, I've done 23 and me so uh, <laughs> i know you know like i know i'm like whatever like i think it's like 92 percent chinese and then like eight percent others and i was like super interesting tracing where my genes are but kind of um surprising was the last time i talked um about this data privacy thing was that i started to realize that uh, whilst i paid um, I think it was like $199 for the test. Um, the company doesn't monetize that, right? The company 23andMe, they, the mo most of their money is made by selling my data. So I, I didn't realize that data could be worth like a thousand or five thousand dollars to various companies doing uh, <laughs> uh, research, right? So this is actually kind of crazy. Um, I completely did not realize it at a time, but um, after talking with researchers in the space, I started realizing, oh crap, if I'm part of a select group of people, there's companies that are willing to pay a lot of money for that data. And first of all, you know, I just agreed to it. Ha ha ha. I didn't know it was worth money. And second of all, why don't I get any of that money? Right. So I think this is something that's kind of interesting for a lot of people who don't know the perspective of this is that all of a sudden our data is worth money. Companies are paying for it. And really this is something that's forward thinking about how to protect a people uh, that provide my data. You know, I provided my genomics data for free, but at the same time, um, how to give that control to people. Like I'm sure there's going to be regulation in this in the future and how to make the compute happen. But I think something that's kind of, kind of interesting, just going back to the genomics um, idea. So would you, in that case, would you store the entire genome? Like, or, or like, I guess 23andMe, they look at particular sections, right, of our genome data. So how would you store that information um, once as obtained? Because that's so much data that, you know, can, can always just even handle that, like an entire or, or sections of someone's genome. So, right, so this is uh, also why the, uh, our platform architecture uniquely supports this, right? So, for example, you will never be able to store the data on chain. Uh, like, meaning, like, uh, on the actual, the consensus layer, the ledger itself. So that's why by separating execution from consensus, it really helps. It provides much more flexibility. So the actual genomic data is now stored on the consensus layer, uh, the ledger itself. Uh, what you store there is essentially, for example, hashes of the data mm -hmm. uh, and so on. And then the actual storage is actually quite flexible. Um, of course, it will be stored in encrypted form, but it can be stored in, essentially, it can be stored in our paradigm uh, environment. Uh, and also, in certain cases, users can even host the storage themselves as long as they provide the availability when the data needs to be uh, utilized and so on. So actually, it really enables much better decentralization and the distributed uh, um, yeah, system. 
Interesting, interesting. That's actually a very cool discussion. I think we definitely want to explore this in the future as well, because there's so many applications of this. I'm glad that you're being using that data also to help fraud with Binance. And uh, um, if people want to know a little bit more about the project, how, how would they go about learning more about Oasis? Okay, yeah, so uh, people can visit the website. It's always this protocol, uh, uh, right? It's for the Oasis Foundation and also Oasis Labs provides a lot of these privacy technologies as well. And actually, with the data thing, one more thing maybe I can just add very quickly mm -hmm. is people do like yield farming these days. Um, mm -hmm. So actually, with the data tokenization, with yield farming, uh, liquidity uh, farming, you put down liquidity, you can you contribute liquidity. Um, so actually, Interesting, similarly with this data tokenization and data economy, you can do actually, you can get a data yield. You, you can stake your data and then if others, uh, then you can create a pool and we call it a data trust. And as others utilize the data and then pay, uh, right, pay fees into the data trust, uh, people who stake their data in the data trust can also get data yield. Uh, which is uh, that's actually yeah, pretty cool. I didn't think about it. So, so I can stake my my genomic data. People can't read it, obviously, like, um, but they can extract data from it. That's kind of cool. So now I can be paid. I can stake my data everywhere. That's that's actually a very interesting model. I didn't think about that, but that's actually super cool. <laughs> yeah, a lot of really exciting use cases and so on. Oh, and also people can follow us on Twitter. Awesome. So I think, Dan, thank you so much for sharing your insights. I think um, I'm actually quite inspired for the future for where this can all lead. And I feel like um, putting everything into perspective, you know, when Bitcoin first started, people were like, oh, this is just a very slow database. You know, people were just like, Whoosh. but now as the whole blockchain space has been um, improved and we're solving issues with both scalability and privacy. And I think that's kind of really awesome to be in this space at this time. So I, uh, I'm sure there's a better descriptive word out there other than awesome, but um, right now that's, that's kind of what I'm feeling. So guys, I thank you so much guys for watching this video and thank you Don so much for coming on and I hope you guys can find a little bit more on Oasis, check them out on Twitter, on Telegram, and of course on their medium as well. So thank you guys so much for watching and thank you Don for coming here. Great, thanks for having me. Thank you, that was great. a lot of fun. Thank Cheers. you. Great Cheers. Yeah, that was really good.